Well, we're taking a little break from Luke's Gospel this morning, but if you've got your Bible with you, or a phone that you can look at the Bible on, um, we're going to look at two readings today. One from Matthew 24, which is not an easy reading at all, and then we're going to delve into the book of Isaiah. So I'm going to read the first seven verses of Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. And then Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That last little bit again. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, that picture in Isaiah is an amazing one. I just pray this morning as we delve into two passages of scripture that you will give us a sense of our direction of travel with you. Lord, in a world that poses so many questions, help us to look to you as our answer. So as we delve into your word, Holy Spirit, would you just bring it alive to us today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the questions I get asked quite a lot, and have been asked quite a lot over the years, is as we look at the mess of the world, as we look at all the trials and things that are going on, The question is, where's God in all of it? What on earth is God doing in a world where there seems so many problems? And then a follow-on question from people who trust in Jesus. When is Jesus going to return? Well, I'm not going to attempt to answer that second one, not in any detail anyway. But does things like war and climate change and pandemic, does this mean that we're getting close to the end? Does it all point to Jesus Returning, if we could just have the, the PowerPoint up, that would be, be brilliant. Now, we look at our world today, and we see that there is so much conflict going on, don't we? 
We've thought about that this morning. We see the situation in Israel and Gaza. That has largely filled our, our news outlets to such an extent where the situation in Ukraine has now taken a backseat. That filled our news outlets to such an extent that what goes on in Syria, what goes on in South Sudan is no longer even talked about. But do you want to see a really shocking graph here? This is a terrible graph. This shows the amount of people who've died every year through armed human conflict. And it goes right back on the far side. You probably can't see the numbers, but it's right back to 1946. And it goes forwards to 2022. And you'll see those terrible losses of life at the end of the, first, of the Second World War. It then goes in sort of waves. We then have quite a lull from the late 80s to 2010. And then it starts to increase again. And you see where we are now. We are living in that uptick at the end of that that's brought about by recent conflicts. So where is God in all of this? Where is he? What's he up to? What's he doing? Is our world just the story of one unmitigated tragedy after another? Well, we've read two passages of scripture this morning, um, and we're sort of working in reverse. We're going to go New Testament, then Old Testament, if that's all right, because I think it makes a bit more sense that way. And the first one is where Jesus grapples with some of the questions about when will the end come and what will it start to look like. And then Isaiah gets to see this incredible vision beyond, and he gets to see what God is working us towards. So let's look at that question, when will Jesus return? Now, as we sit in the final months of 2023, if we plotted any kind of graph about things going on in our world, it all shows that things are getting worse. There are more earthquakes, there are more famines, there is more problems with the climate, poverty is growing, the number of people dying has increased. And all these things leave us wondering, is Jesus going to return soon? Will he return in our lifetime? We're still raw from the effects of a pandemic, a cost of living crisis. But let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Well, he's speaking at the temple, and his his disciples are drawing Jesus' attention to the temple buildings. Now, the temple buildings at this point were really impressive. They covered acres of land. And it was the second temple period. So the temple originally at its core was the temple built by the exiles returning from Babylon. But Herod the Great, remember him from the Nativity plays? Um, Herod the Great had expanded this um, temple area. And it was grand. It was magnificent. It was astounding for people to come and look at. And as disciples, you can imagine them wandering around saying, oh, wow, this is an amazing place. And they draw Jesus' attention to it. But as Jesus often does, he cuts right through human complacency. And in verse 2, he says, all of this will be torn down. All of this that looks so strong that actually at that point, they'd have been thinking is so God-honoring, will not last. What does history tell us? AD 70, there was a terrible war between some Jewish rebels and the Romans. The whole place was flattened, never to be rebuilt again. Now, Matthew 24 is a really complex passage because there are two things working in parallel. There's all this stuff that is about AD 70 that some people would see who were there with Jesus. And then Jesus moves us on to look at the end of the age as well. And so we get these two things. So if we're to look at the whole passage, we'll be here quite a while. You'll be glad to know we're only looking at those first few verses because we'd have to untangle what is what and what is where and so on. But what Jesus talks about is about temporary things passing away. Now, we live in this time where the Spirit has been poured out. We're in the age of the church, and we live where the kingdom has broken out, but it's not here in its fullness. That will not come till Jesus returns. 
And so at this point, Jesus says, you know, we will live with war, with rumor of war, with earthquakes, with famine, with times of distress. Nation will rise against nation. And if you go back through scripture, right back to the book of Genesis, what do you find? We find Cain and Abel, and Cain murders his brother, and it's the start of human conflict. And human conflict has been going on right the way through scripture, as we rebel against God, as we go our own way, and as things end up spiraling down. As nations grew, weapons of war increased, and weapons become more and more terrible. We see that in our world, more devastating. And Jesus said this will keep going on until he returns. It will keep spiraling round. I think I've told you this before, but I can remember being in Manchester probably 25, 30 years ago in a church, and it was all about this question, when will Jesus return? Now, the person who was preaching had the answer. It was amazing. It was all on a wall chart around the room, and it had all these various things and characters who were going to bring in the end. One of them was Saddam Hussein. I remember that quite clearly, and um, it was going on through all these different things that would happen, and it was all utterly wrong. None of it actually has taken place. Because actually that is not what Jesus is talking about. 30 years later is not predicted as people said it might do. You see, Jesus doesn't give us that kind of roadmap. Rather, he talks about the spiraling of human history. He talks about the kinds of things we are expecting to see happening. And as that graph showed before, history does spiral round. Sometimes things get far worse. Sometimes things get a bit better. And it will continue until the day that Jesus returns. We're not there yet. Is it closer? Absolutely. We're not there yet. If you're ever tempted to try and predict when Jesus will return, I can guarantee that you're journeying, you'll be joining an elite group of people with a 100% failure rate. So please don't try and do that thing. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You see, that, that actual date of return is hidden even amongst the close-knit relationship of the Trinity. Rather, we're called to be hope-filled, expectant, and holy. We live in the reality of a world that has rebelled against God, that is falling apart, that the wheels are coming off, where there will be violence and problems until the end. Now, we can sit here today and we can think, well, that's the world's problems. That's violence. That's all the things. And we can say, well, that's not me. I'm not involved in any of that. But on Remembrance Day, let's think about what war is. War is an accumulation of human rebellion, isn't it, and violence. It's the multiplication of sin. It's a failure to love. It's a failure to be a person of peace. It's a failure to care. And war ends up being the tail end of human failure. It doesn't emerge out of nowhere. If anyone's got a good memory and can think back four years on Remembrance Day, I was stood up here and I had my granddad's war medals with me. Does anyone remember? Yeah, a few people. Um, Now, my granddad fought in the trenches of the First World War. So he, um, I think he was in the the Battle of Ypres, and he went over the top at the, the battle to rescue a friend and got his leg shot off. And he then had a wooden leg for the rest of his life. I never knew him. He died well before I was born. But if you know anything about the history of World War I, it didn't just start as people suddenly decided to attack one another one day. If you did history at school or watched the History Channel or whatever, you, you will know that up leading up to the war was a whole load of warmongering from the great nations of Europe. 
People trying to build the biggest army, people building the biggest weapons. And it was about sort of power and hunger for power. And then what happens? An archduke of the Austrian Empire gets shot and the whole thing sparks off. And millions upon millions of lives are lost. But it doesn't start as the guns are fired. It starts in the human heart way, way back. As the human heart decides to dominate, decides to be filled with pride, decides to get angry, and decides to want to dominate other people. You know, in our own lives, actually, we can get sucked into being like that. We can get sucked into behavior that actually denies who we are in Christ. Just think personally for a moment. Is there any conflict going on in your life? Are there things in your life that you've actually got sucked into, or in my life that we've got sucked into, that actually the way that we're behaving is precipitating conflict? It's not being a peacemaker, but it's being a person of conflict. Might be in a conversation with a neighbor about the positioning of a garden fence or something like that. It might be with a work colleague. It might be with a member of family or friends or somebody in church. Now, it might not get to anything physical at all, but we can find ourselves with the blood pressure rising, the anxiety levels going up, and we can find ourselves becoming part of the problem of this world. We can find ourselves, rather than being the peacemaker, being the instigator of conflict. You know, violence is one of the things that no UN peacekeepers, no rulers or empires have ever been able to solve. It's just something that is beyond our ability as human beings to solve. But can I encourage us this morning? We live as part of a different story. If we're a follower of Jesus today, we're part of something that is quite different. Because Jesus, God himself, has stepped into our world. And he has taken on himself on Calvary the worst violence this, this world could show. He's crucified for the sins and rebellion of the world. And he has made a public spectacle of them. And he has risen from the dead. Sorry, I'm getting all these muddled up this morning. Where are we going here? Forget that. Just ignore the PowerPoint. I think it's probably the best thing. Um, but he says in Colossians 2.15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Let's see if we can get to the right thing. No, I'm still not right there. No, I'm right now. Here we go. So let's talk about joining in with being part of the solution. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, the new creation has gone, the old has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I don't know about you, but I sometimes find it's really hard in life when you realize you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. Um, years ago, I was once asked to join an orchestra, and it wasn't round here, and I'm not going to name it, but it was the kind of orchestra, they weren't the most proficient, and it was a kind of guess that tune orchestra when they, when they performed, um, and I, I thought I was going in to play the piano, and I would help accompany various things, but then they asked me to play my trumpet, and if you've heard me play the trumpet recently, or have I had that misfortune, it's not a particularly beautiful or elegant sound, because I haven't practiced since I left school. And that's quite a long time ago. So I tried my best. I gave it a go. I couldn't hit the high notes. I just split them. If you were a brass player, you'll know that sounds absolutely awful. And the problem is, when you don't practice the trumpet, you can play at one volume, and it's very loud, which is not really that helpful in an orchestra that is struggling anyway. So after three weeks, I decided I was not part of the solution for this orchestra. So I went and joined a local choir and played the piano and was much better. 
I couldn't add anything. All I could do was detract. It was as if I'd said, right, sign me up as a Manchester United striker and I'll come and solve your problem. Well, actually, I might do a better job than those there at the moment, but that's another, that's another story. But without Jesus off our own back, actually, we're part of this world's problem. We can't point the finger at other people. We are part of the problem. No human philosophy has managed to solve the problems of the human heart. Whether it's Roman rule and this claim of Pax Romana and the peace of Rome across this empire, whether it's Marxism, capitalism, feudalism, whatever it is, none of it solves it. None of it solves the human heart. But when we say yes to Jesus, when we're part of the new creation, all that God will do in the future starts to break out in the present. I saw this, and I'm hoping this will work. Yes, it has worked. I saw this on Facebook the other day, and it was somebody having a real go at Christianity. And they said this, you can't trust an apocalyptic religion to find real-world solutions. Their identity is based upon the world ending. I take great issue with that. You know, we do have, as Christians, this hope that Jesus will return. That's the apocalyptic bit, that the world will end. He will come again in glory. But don't tell me that stops us being part of the solutions of the world here and now. That is a total misrepresentation of what the New Testament is on about, what Jesus talks about. When Jesus calls us to pray, what does he call us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, in the here and now. That we pray that God's rule that is already complete in heaven will start to break out in our lives, in our communities. Praying that God's rule will be part of the solution until Jesus returns. So I want to ask us, have we fully grasped who we are in Christ this morning? That we're not part of the problem if we follow him. That we are actually part of the solution that Jesus has already brought about. Because we're part of the new creation. Now that is difficult. Because it doesn't mean we become doormats. It doesn't mean we just sit down and say, well I will take whatever anyone throws at me. I will become a person of no resistance to injustice or whatever. And it's a very complex balance how we become the peacemaker and yet stand up to oppression and injustice. But I think the difference is, is that human conflict is for our own sake. It's for our own betterment. When we stand up with compassion against oppression and injustice, it's not for our sake, but it's for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom's rule and reign. It says in Romans 12 verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace as far as we can live that kind of way of being. See, part of the pain of the world is unresolvable conflict, isn't it? But even so, we are called to be the people of peace. Why? Because Jesus has stepped in. He's taken our sin. We can have peace with God, and we are called to live that out as the presence of Jesus in the world. Let's move on and look at the Isaiah passage just briefly. Isaiah 11, we we find ourselves in this most beautiful part of Isaiah. And it's a prophecy that that looks forward to a time of complete peace on the earth. It's a bit of an interesting um, verse as the ones I read, because it's all these kinds of different creatures sort of coexisting with each other, and there being no violence or problems between any of them. I mean, you wouldn't let a kid play with a snake. And yet this is what he's saying. You know, when the glory of God comes and fills the whole earth, and there's the new heavens and the earth. Everything will be made new and right. But look at the start of chapter 11. This is Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. 
A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Who's that talking about? Jesus. One of the prophecies in Isaiah looking forward to who Jesus will be. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. See, Jesus is of the line of David. Jesus comes as the son of David. And this is about what will happen as we get towards the end. Now, the the passage that we read earlier, we don't see that yet, don't we? Do we? We do not see a world that is free of trial and violence. We don't see a world where peace is complete. And we don't see the earth being filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But this Remembrance Day, can I encourage us to remember that one day we will? That just as these prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus, one day the final part of Isaiah 11 will be fulfilled. That the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. Remember this Remembrance Day, that as we see a world wrecked by violence and conflict, that God has a plan. That God will one day call time on this world. That Jesus will return in glory. And there will be no more sickness or sin anymore. But I just want to leave us with one final thing this morning. In light of God's plan, in light of what we're called to be and do, how then will we live tomorrow? How will we live this week? What needs to change? I'm just going to leave three reflection points on the screen. We'll just spend a few moments in a minute looking at these. But is there any conflict going on in my life today? Are there things that are going on that actually I can stop, I can put right, I can become the peacemaker? Is there anything I need to turn my back on? Is there anything I need to repent of and do a complete 180 round and stop doing? How does Jesus call me to live in the light of his victory and soon return? We don't know when he's coming back, we know that he is, but how do we live in light of that? I'm just going to leave us a few minutes, perhaps if the music team could come up, and then we'll, we'll spend some time worshipping as we draw our service to a close. But let's just leave a few minutes just to reflect upon those in our own life, then I'll pray. as we're thinking in our own hearts about those reflections just going to read those verses from Isaiah again just that image of a world where violence has, has gone because of all that Jesus has done the wolf will live with the lamb the leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them the cow will feed with the bear their young will lie down together 
and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Lord, we thank you for that amazing promise that one day all the violence, all the sin, all the rebellion against you will be no more. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will reign with you forever and ever. Lord, until that day, help us to live as part of your new creation. Help us to live showing the priorities of your kingdom. And help us to be hopeful for all that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen.